please turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 2, where we will continue our series through the gospel according to Luke. We'll be in Luke 2, 22 through 40. If you're using one of the chair Bibles, I didn't check for sure this week because I did my prep at home and not in the office where I have one of the chair Bibles, but I'm pretty sure it's still on page 856, which is where last week's text was. Um, and if it's not, it's on a page, page 857, so it's close in there. If you're using one of our chair Bibles, you can still look, look there and find it. But that will be our text, Luke 2, 22 through 40. So last week we saw the birth of Jesus, and this week is the dedication of Jesus at the temple. So it will be Luke 2, 22 through 40, and Gertie is coming to read that for us this morning. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young, two young pigeons. Now there was a man... In Jerusalem, whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him uh, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have spoken to us in your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us by your Son, 
Lord, we thank you that in old times and even today, you speak to us by your Spirit through the Word to show us the Son. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would lead, you would guide, you would help me say what I should say and not say what I shouldn't say, that you would help each of us to respond to the truth of this text with appropriate repentance, with faith, with joy, with amazement at your love for us and the salvation that you have provided for us through Jesus. Would you do that work? We can't do that. There are no words that I could craft that would make that happen. So Holy Spirit, would you come and meet with us, lead us, show us Christ. He's what we need. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever heard the expression, now I can die in peace? You pretty much just heard it in the text. I think a lot of people were saying it uh, late, uh, probably around 10 o'clock at night on the first Sunday in February this past year. I do notice there is some strong uh, Eagles representation today out there. I see several jerseys represented, t-shirts. Uh, short people and tall people have them too. So is that Peter walking around with an Eagles shirt on? There you go. You guys are assimilating to the culture. That's good. I think a lot of people on that night Earlier this year, we can still say for today and tomorrow, at the end of last season, I think there were a lot of people, and maybe even a lot of people at Cotman in Frankfurt, who said, maybe some of you said at Cotman in Frankfurt, now I can die in peace. I've been waiting my whole life for this moment, and I'll never forget it, and I'll never yell at the TV again. And then the new season started, right? It's like, now I can die in peace, and now all a lot of you can think about is that the Bears need to win today, and the Eagles need to win today to keep the chance going for it to be a repeat, which would be exciting. That now I can die in peace, we we say it, especially when we've been waiting for something a long time. We've been waiting for a championship a long time, and then it finally comes. When, so I, in full disclosure, especially for those who are guests with us, I'm not from here. Um, and so my, my first baseball allegiance is to the Boston Red Sox. That's where all my family's from, Cape Cod in Massachusetts. Um, and someone wrote a book back in 2004 when the Red Sox finally won the World Series, and they hadn't won it in 86 years, and it's like, they're never going to do it, and generations had come and gone uh, without ever seeing a World Series championship. My grandfather was 75 at the time, and when they won, I called him, like, Papa, we did it. And it was so exciting, and there was a huge Red Sox fan, blogger, writer, guy who wrote a book called Now I Can die in peace. And for those of you who follow Bill Simmons at all, you know he is not a man at peace. Uh, he's n- <laughs> Anyway, <got> thank you. <laughs> right? But for that moment, we think we can. Right? But then the next season starts. The next pursuit is there. The, the calendar turns over and there's the next year, which is actually more in line. I know some of you are thinking about the Eagles, but others of us are thinking about New Year's. And some of us think about New Year's resolutions long enough to say, I don't do that. Are you kidding me? What? Is that 
One or two of you can identify with that, right? And then, well, I should say one or two of us can identify with that. And then there are others uh, who'd say, okay, we're, you know, this is a time, right? This is a time to take stock of my life. What have I done so far? What am I going to do? How was this last year? You know, who do I want to be? What do I want to do? And that's actually good. I encourage you to do that sort of thinking. So there's a way in which we have a now I can die in peace moment that's so much better than the Eagles winning the Super Bowl or the Phillies winning the World Series or anything else. There's a real now I can die in peace moment, but it's at the end of a life that's lived like every day is New Year's Day. Because most of our New Year's resolutions, they last like three days, five days, maybe two weeks, right? You get that gym membership. I've done that too. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually go this year. It's like, nah. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> It's like, we did it. I went. You know, the, the gym is packed. You're like, wow, a lot of people come to exercise on January 2nd. Yes, they do. But by Martin Luther King Day, you'll have the place to yourself. <laughs> but we see a couple of people in this story, one of whom says, now I can die in peace. And it's the end of a life lived like every day is New Year's Day. Where every day is, I'm, I'm waiting for this moment. I'm living for this moment. I'm living like it's really coming. I'm living in light of the salvation that God is providing. So there are ways in which, even though this isn't exactly a New Year's sermon, I mean, it's just the next section in Luke but it also fits well with the idea of thinking seriously about what life is about and what we want to do with the one short life that God has given us. So this is another well-known story, perhaps not as well-known as the angels you know, saying together, glory to God in the highest. We're very familiar with that story. But I think many of us are also familiar with this one. When Jesus is dedicated at the temple, And then Simeon comes and blesses him and prophesies over him. And then Anna comes and does the same thing. So you may wonder, you know, why are they they doing this? What are Mary and Joseph doing here? And who are Simeon and Anna? Simeon and Anna, this is what we have, what Gertie just read, is all that we know about them. They're not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. Um, So... This, this is all we've got to go on, and we're not going to try to recreate uh, narratives for them or try to figure out more about them. What we have revealed is enough for us to be rebuked and for us to want to grow and for us to want what they wanted and to live the way that they lived with the help of the Holy Spirit. So the big idea this morning is this. By faith, let's resolve... To be sensitive to the Spirit while we wait for redemption. By faith, let's resolve to be sensitive to the Spirit while we wait for redemption. Just in what's happening in the story as far as, you know, where does this fit and why are they doing this? 
You look back at verse 22, when the time for their purification according, when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him, that is Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. The laws about purification after childbirth can be found in Leviticus chapter 12. Leviticus 12, that whole chapter is about purification after childbirth. Um, Circumcision after eight days, which is mentioned in verse 21, uh, comes from that same chapter, Leviticus 12.3. And then the purification of the mother after 40 days, a period of seven days before the circumcision on the eighth day, and then 33 more days after 40 days. um, That is also specified there in Leviticus 12. 12. And the gift is specified as well. Look at verse 24. To offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. And then in quotes, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So this is the offering that's prescribed in Leviticus 12.8. And I've noted in the last two sermons, just as we were talking about Jesus coming, this gospel being for the poor, that his own family was poor, that he was born into a poor family. And we know that from looking back at Leviticus 12, because the quotation here, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, that is a provision for those who cannot afford to bring a lamb. So the lamb is the actual prescribed sacrifice, but for those who can't, they're allowed to bring the birds. So they, bring, they can bring turtle doves or pigeons instead of a lamb. That's Leviticus 12, 8. And then why are they doing a dedication at the temple? So that's the purification for her. Uh, but it says when the time came for their purification, it's not so much that Jesus needed purification. We know that he was, he's God in the flesh. He was perfect from birth. He's never sinned. So he didn't need purification exactly, but he's kind of lumped in with Mary here because there was the concept of the redemption of the firstborn. And this reaches all the way back to the Exodus. In Exodus 13, as the Lord is preparing his people to go out of Egypt, that's what happens in Exodus 14. That's where we actually have them going out and crossing the Red Sea and all that. And then Miriam's song is in Exodus 15. Back in Exodus 13, as the Lord is preparing his people, he's telling them what the last plague is going to be, that the firstborn is going to die unless you put the blood over the door and on the sides, on the doorposts. He says, the firstborn is mine. And so he institutes, the Lord himself institutes the redemption of the firstborn. If you were a firstborn male animal... You were going to be sacrificed. And if you were a firstborn male human, thankfully you weren't going to be sacrificed. You could be redeemed. That there would be a sacrifice that would die in your place. And it was signifying that the firstborn belonged to the Lord. That he had the right to them. Of course, we know that he doesn't just own the firstborn. He owns all of us. He's the one who made us. He's the one who owns us. But that's what they're doing here. They're bringing Jesus is Mary's firstborn son. 
And she's bringing him to present him to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in his place that he would be redeemed. The Redeemer himself followed the law completely in order to redeem us. So that's kind of what's going on. That's why they're here. But it's not, that's not so much the most important thing as much as what happens and the people that they meet. So let's look first at the idea of being sensitive to the Spirit. The big idea was by faith, let's resolve to be sensitive to the Spirit while we wait for redemption. Being sensitive to the Spirit is a significant emphasis in this story. And it really has been this whole first two chapters of Luke. And we see it with both Simeon and with Anna. Look back at verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now this was a big deal, especially before Pentecost. Because after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit lives inside each one of us. But the Holy Spirit was on him in a special way. Verse 26, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And listen again, verse 27, he came in the Spirit into the temple. And then he blessed the baby. That's right. (laughs) Uh. And so we see these, these repeated references. It's almost like Luke wants us to get something. He wants us to realize the importance of the Spirit's work in the birth of Jesus And we'll see it in the life of Jesus, the importance of the Spirit's work. And then especially as we get into Acts, we see the importance of the Spirit's work, not just in the birth and life of Jesus, but continuing into our life today until Jesus comes again. So these people were sensitive to the Spirit. They were aware of His presence. They were aware of His leading. They were filled with the Word of God. And that is where the Spirit primarily leads us. He leads us through studying the Word of God, through reading the Word of God. He reveals Jesus to us, primarily through the Bible. He teaches us what a great Savior we have. He, according to Jesus' words in John in the Upper Room Discourse. He guides us into all truth. He's the one who opens our eyes. Even Paul's prayer in Ephesians that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened. The Holy Spirit is the one who does that. He's the one who leads us in the way that we should go. Following Jesus. And especially in Acts, sensitivity to the Spirit, awareness of the Spirit, and empowerment by the Spirit leads to boldness to speak of Jesus and His salvation. Especially in times when it's difficult, or there are people telling you not to, or where you don't know what to say. Do we ever feel like that today? That's how God's people felt in the first century 
And it's still that way in the 21st century. We need the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so a question for us as we're seeing people who are sensitive to the Holy Spirit is are we sensitive to the Holy Spirit in our daily lives? Are we sensitive to the Holy Spirit in our daily lives? When was the last time you prayed to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Like on Sunday, we'd all go, well, I know it's in the Bible. It's right there. It's a command. We're supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But do we pursue that? Is that even on our mind? Or is it just like, well, that's, that's nice Bible stuff, but I have real life to live over here. Are we sensitive to the Spirit? Are we aware of our need for His help to obey, to love, to speak? What do you do? What do I do when we feel weak in those areas? One of my tendencies is like, I'll buy a book. A book will tell me the information that I will need to know, and then I will do what I am supposed to do. Is that the answer? I mean, we, it's good to learn and be wise. Definitely, you won't, you won't find me speaking ag- against learning from books. But is that really what I need when I'm not quite sure what to say? When I'm not prepared for that encounter with that person, oh, I just, if I just read one more book on evangelism, then I'll like start getting better at it. If I don't know what to do in that parenting situation, it's like, well, there's got to be a resource that will help me. And again, yes. And we have a resource. In fact, Jesus calls him the helper. If he, if he has a name, it's that. The Holy Spirit is our helper. And that's not our helper in the sense of like, oh, just okay, go do that, do that. He's our strong helper who comes alongside. He prays when we don't know what to pray. He knows the words and he prays them to the Father for us. And he's ready to help us. And he's strong. It's been mentioned already a couple times. The, the resources of the Lord are unlimited. And the way we connect to those resources is to ask. To ask. To pursue. And so this is not just a me asking it to you question. Are we pursuing the Holy Spirit? Are we sensitive to, his, to our need for His work in our lives and to His presence and His power? Because I'm sure many of us feel weak in our witness, weak in our ability to talk about Jesus and what He has done to those who don't yet know Him. And we think we need all these other things. We need boldness from the Spirit. We need wisdom from the Spirit. We need power from the Spirit. Sensitivity to the Spirit looks like boldness to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. 
Simeon's sensitivity to the Spirit looked like being in exactly the right place at the right time to meet the Savior and then to speak words of prophecy over him. Words that are rooted in the Old Testament. Words that are in line with what God said would happen through his Messiah. Are we sensitive to the Spirit? And then secondly, we find them sensitive to the Spirit, but also waiting for redemption. Waiting for redemption. I mentioned it at the beginning, the whole like, now I can die in peace kind of thing. And Eagles fans had been waiting for a really long time. But what is it that we're waiting for? As exciting as it was to have the team win the Super Bowl, you realize relatively shortly after, like, that was really cool. You know, and you may have the, the Blu-ray to, to show for it. And I can always watch it. There's always a world in which they have won the Super Bowl. And that's true. And no one can take that away. But when the Super Bowl is being played this year, if the Eagles happen not to be in it, it's, it won't feel the same. And the further away you get from it, the, the less, yeah, that's amazing, it's great, it feels. There might be some nostalgia and you look back, and just like with the 1960 NFL championship team. But there's a point where a lot of people are born who don't even remember. And so it doesn't matter. But for a bunch of you, you don't care about the Eagles at all. And that's completely fine. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? What's the thing that you would tend to say, now I can die in peace? If this thing happens, or, or maybe uh, if this series of things happens, you know, like, Rob, I'm not one big change away from feeling like my life will be in order. Okay, so series of things. What is it that is like, if I can get this under control and that under control, and if that works out and if everything's fine in that area, then I can be at rest. I don't have to search anymore. I don't have to strive anymore. What are we waiting for? Because we're all waiting for some sort of redemption. Whether it's a sports redemption, whether it's a career redemption, whether it's family redemption. We're waiting for something. Are we waiting for the real redemption? Do we see that redemption will only come when Jesus does? Simeon and Anna were both, in their own way, waiting. They were waiting for redemption, waiting for salvation to come. We see this mentioned A few times in the text as well. In verse 25, Simeon, a man righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And then in verse 29, as he's blessing God, his his prayer, his hymn, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. He was waiting. Anna was waiting as well. In verse 38, 
We see this woman who didn't depart from the temple, who was faithful, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem, waiting for the consolation of Israel, waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now I can die in peace. Why? Because my eyes have seen your salvation. He'd been told he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah, the Lord's Christ. And in God's mercy and in fulfillment of his word, which that's what God does, Simeon saw God's salvation. He says, now I can depart in peace. It's according to your word. And this salvation that he prophesies about, back at verse 30, he says, my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory <coughs> to your people Israel. God always planned to save a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation through his Messiah. Yes, there's a special way in which he's the king of Israel and he was coming for his people but it would be progressively revealed that his people would not be just one ethnic group of people and wouldn't be just in one place. He's a light for the Gentiles. And Simeon perhaps is thinking of texts like Isaiah 42.6 or 49.6 or 52.10 or 60 verse 3, which all speak of the Messiah being a light. Shining in darkness, being a light to the Gentiles. He says, you're, you're too big, you're too important to just be for one family. You're for all the families of the earth. And we see these people who are led by the Spirit, they, they get it even more than Mary and Joseph at this point. Look at verse 33. His father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. See, Jesus would be a light for revelation to the Gentiles. But as we talked about last week, this peace that's coming will not be experienced by everyone. And even Jesus in his life and Mary as his mother would not experience peace perfectly all the time. She's told a sword will pierce through your own soul. This child's appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Thoughts of hearts will be revealed. It's not that Jesus is coming and just magically peace is going over everything. Peace is for those who believe. Those who trust Him. Simeon and Anna are pictures of us. 
of people who are waiting for redemption. Waiting for salvation. Oh, where? This world is broken. This isn't what we're waiting for. And there's nothing that can happen. Not our team winning the Super Bowl. Not the promotion finally coming through and the pay being just what we think we need. None of those things will be enough. It will be enough when Jesus comes because He is enough. These are people who are looking forward. Are we looking forward in our faith? Certainly we look back to these days. We look back to Jesus' birth. We look back to His perfect life. We look back to His death on the cross in our place. We look back to His resurrection We experience His power now by the presence of the Spirit. But ours is a faith that, yes, looks back and looks forward. Looks forward to His coming again. Looks forward to the life that we will have with Him and with all His people. 1 John 3, 2 and 3, I love this. Beloved, we are God's children now. It's true. We are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him, everyone who hopes in Him this way, purifies Himself, even as He is pure. When we look forward to seeing God Himself, who is holy, holy, holy. And being able to look Him in the face and not die, but live forever in His presence with all His people. When we long for that, we want to get ready. We want to be prepared. We want to be living every day like it's New Year's Day, where it's the first day of new resolutions. The first day of, yes, I want to worship Him. This is what Anna was doing, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. She did not depart from the temple. Now, this doesn't mean we're going to keep the doors unlocked all the time and this is where you're supposed to be, right? Because things have changed since then. This is not the holy place. Well, it is today because you're here. But there's nothing magical about this place during the week. We are now the temple of God. We are the holy place where the Holy Spirit lives. And so the idea of not departing from the temple is not any more for us if we're trying to apply that. It's not about a place. It's about our hearts. It's not we always go to church. It's we are always sensitive to the Spirit. We are always in every area of our life worshiping God. Trusting Him, living for His glory, sensitive to the Spirit, ready to obey Him. Because while we wait for redemption, being sensitive to the Spirit, we live by faith. They were sensitive to the Spirit, they were waiting for redemption, and they were living by faith. Faith. And faith works itself out. James tells us especially, but we find it in other places too. Faith works itself out in obedience to God's law. 
Simeon, Anna, but not just Simeon and Anna. Mary and Joseph in this text become examples to us of faith that works itself out in the life of the believer. There are several references in this text, you may have caught them as Gertie was reading it earlier, to the law, or the law of Moses. The first one is in verse 22. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses. Then verse 23, as it is written, in the law of the Lord. And then in verse 24, to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. Then in verse 27, Simeon came into the, into, in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. And then at the end, in verse 39, as they're returning to Nazareth, when do they return there? When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord. It's almost like Luke wants us to understand that they were doing things according to the law of the Lord. Jesus always obeyed, right? He fulfilled the law. And we say he fulfilled the law for us. Part of how Jesus fulfilled all righteousness, this is mind-blowing that God would let people in his plan this way. Part of how Jesus fulfilled all righteousness was through the faithful obedience of his parents. Jesus never sinned. He always did what he was supposed to do. He fulfilled the law for us. And part of how he did that was through the faithful obedience of his parents. Eight-day-old boys don't circumcise themselves. Right? Forty-day-old boys don't know they're the firstborn who needs to be redeemed. But their parents do. And Luke stresses in this text that Mary and Joseph did everything according to the law of the Lord. So as we think about living by faith, and I know there are quite a few parents in here. We can't save our children We can't make them believe. And we have a real part to play. We have a real part to play. We have a responsibility to live out the faith in front of them. We have a responsibility, an opportunity to teach them in the days of their youth to teach them the truths of the Savior, of their need for salvation, and of the amazing provision that has been made for us through Christ. So we we can't save them, we can't make them believe, but we have a real part to play. And then thinking about children, we have young people in here today many of whom have grown up your whole lives in the church, many of whom have grown up your whole lives in this church. Your parents can't trust God for you. Your parents can't follow God for you. Your parents can't obey God 
for you. Yes, they have a responsibility, but you have a responsibility. You have a call to repent, to turn from your sins and trust in Christ. Believe the gospel. Cast all your hope on Jesus, not on that your parents brought you to church from when you were small. To cast all your hope on His righteousness, not because you've been trained to be a good kid and you're better than the other kids at school. That's not how you get to heaven. That's not how you get to the new heavens and the new earth. It's as you, for yourself, not because of your parents, not for your parents, as you trust in Christ, you have life. They can't do that for you. They wish that they could. But they can't. It's up to you to believe Jesus for yourself and to follow Him, and to obey Him. Mary and Joseph were following the law. They were real parents who had a real part to play. But Jesus is the one who really only ever did everything that was required in the law of the Lord. Yes, His parents played a role, but Jesus would go on to live a perfect life perfectly in accord with God's law, always loving his father, always loving his neighbor as himself. And he did all this so that we can know him, so that we can have life with him, so that we can glorify him both now and forever. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 tells us that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, Born under the law. Why? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. We get to be God's children because of Jesus' perfect fulfillment of the law. And so it's by faith that we must resolve to be sensitive to the Spirit while we wait for redemption. It's not that if, if I'm really good at living a life sensitive to the Spirit, God will finally be pleased with me. It's not, oh, if I, okay, if I make sure I wait for redemption, God will be pleased with me. No, we walk sensitive to the Spirit, waiting for redemption, living by faith. Not in our keeping of the law, not in Mary and Joseph's keeping of the law, but in Jesus' keeping of the law for us. He really did it. He kept every bit of it. He never stumbled in any way in regard to the law. So let us follow Jesus. Let us trust Jesus. Like Simeon did. Like Anna did. Like Joseph and Mary. In simple faith and obedience. Being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. What's the next step of obedience for you, what's the next step of sensitivity to the Spirit for you? Is it being aware that you need the help of the Holy Spirit? Where you just throw up your hands, I, I can't be the worker I want to be. My career is not going the way it's supposed to go. I can't make the decisions that I'm supposed to make. I can't be the parent that I'm supposed to be. I can't pay the bills that I'm supposed to pay. I can't, I can't do the things. Are we looking for resources everywhere except the one who is called our helper? Let us be first sensitive to our need 
and then aware that he's our helper. And he loves to rush to our side. And he's not just at our side, he's in us to teach us, to lead us, to guide us to Jesus. Maybe it's a young person or a not-so-young person who needs not to lean on the faith of their parents or of someone else, but to trust in Jesus for yourself as your Savior and your King, trusting His obedience, realizing your obedience is not enough. Maybe it's relying on the Spirit in faith to tell someone of Jesus, our great Savior, who doesn't yet know Him. Are you, are we waiting for redemption? Are we waiting for Jesus to come again? Is that what moves us? Is that what we're excited about? Is that what we're longing for? Are we living by faith, obeying Jesus, even if it seems strange or wrong to the world around us? And as we do this, are we sensitive to the Spirit's work in us? Simeon, at the end of his prophecy, said that the thoughts of many hearts would be revealed. And that's still happening today. Hearts are being revealed. The world really is divided into two. Those who trust Christ and those who don't. In 2019, may we resolve to worship God, to serve God, not just in a building, but everywhere for His glory. As we are His temple, we are His body on the earth, showing a broken world who He is and what it means to belong to Him. May God open our eyes by His Spirit this year to see the Savior, that His salvation has come all the way to us. This light for the Gentiles has shined in our hearts. What a gift. What grace. What mercy. Let's by faith, be sensitive to the Spirit, waiting for the redemption that will come according to His Word. Let's pray. Oh God, help us. Spirit, help us. Help us to remember You in the midst of all the things we have to do. And all the times when we think, you know, where can I find that resource? Would you help us to remember all the resources we've been given through the gospel and all the resources we have in the Spirit? And would you help us to see your salvation? Would you bring us to the day where we will see you face to face and be at peace? In Jesus' name.